jump. We are going to do a spoiler cast this week, um, specifically based around Final Fantasy VII, the remake for PS4. Uh, we did have intentions for uh, Caleb to join us, but because he is an adult and he has to adult things, he was unable to complete the game in time to join us. But we do still have Matt here with us. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. How's it going? And we got a special guest this time. Rich Homie Spencer has joined the show. What's up, Rich Homie Spencer? I gotta say, as the only one here who played this game on their PlayStation Vita, I gotta say it's going pretty good. <laughs> oh, please tell me you're lying. Please tell oh, me you're with the power of remote play, any PlayStation 4 game can be suboptimally you know. <laughs> 30 seconds in, I'm already I loving this. I did try it out for, for shits and giggles. I will say, worked good for like so, like small like fetch quest stuff because I'm a monster and I very rarely use the fast travel in this game and I was like no I'm just gonna walk up and down all these slummy corridors but I was like no but I can do this on my I can pretend like I'm being productive. Yeah, no, there, was, there was no playing it on uh, any TV show but my main TV show. Uh, I did play once I did it the first time I did start playing on I did zero story stuff like that. I want you to know, like, whenever it came to story moments of, like, listen, I'm docked in, it was surround sound headphones or bust. I was, like, had to be as primo as possible. Because, like, this game is, it's insulting to not experience this game, especially your first playthrough, like, as gorgeously looking and sounding as possible. So you are correct. 100%. Matt, how did you play it? Um, <laughs> I would like to, I'd like to say I mean, yes. That's the worst part. Oh my God, I just realized. He could have done it with an iPad. <laughs> just on my PS4. All right, so um, what is, kind of give a backstory on what is your experience on Final Fantasy. Anybody who listens knows that I am the like, Final Fantasy guru of our trifecta that we have going on. I have played the original game multiple times. I know it forwards, backwards, sideways, all over the place. Um, what is your gentleman's experience? Matt, I'll start with you. Um, and anyone else that has listened to the show kind of knows my experience with it. Uh, I did not play the original. I know parts of the story, uh, one of the most pivotal parts of the story of the original, uh, but I never play the games. I've played a couple of the Final Fantasy games, um, I know people gave a lot of flack to 13, but I enjoyed 13. So we're just going to brush over that really quickly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really loved this game going into it. Didn't know what to expect. And I just had a lot of questions and I'm glad it kept me guessing all the way up until the end. What about you, Spencer? What's your experience with this game? Oh, Greg, I'm so glad you invited me on to one of you in terms of being the bigger Final Fantasy <laughs> So you got me beat in terms of time probably spent years playing. Cause my first Final Fantasy was eight. I always have like a really distinct memory of I was at a used bookstore and I like begged my dad to buy it. And to this day, he's still not letting me live it down because I told him, Dad, it's called Final Fantasy. This is the last one. They're not going to make any more after this. They ending it with eight. Seven was great. How 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 amazing can you imagine eight's going to be? And to this day, he's still not letting me live that down after playing and buying all of the least American released Final Fantasy games. So I'm in a bit of a weird camp because Matt, you were bringing up 13 about it not being the most widely loved and whatnot. Uh, I'm a weirdo in the sense of all of like my favorite Final Fantasies are very rarely 
like the most popular ones. So like I love all the weird spinoffs and stuff. But mm. like my favorite before I played seven remake, it was a three way tie between Final Fantasy ten, Final Fantasy eight, and Final Fantasy fifteen. Alright. And even like the Lightning Returns trilogy, like I loved all of those, although to be fair, I'm like a total shill because Square Enix paid me and a whole bunch of other man children to fly out to San Francisco and like check that game out back in the day and I have uh, never stopped being a show for that series ever since. <laughs> but yeah. The long and the short of it is I love and play all things Final Fantasy. I have even in any previous time in my life been paid to play and write and talk about Final Fantasy and it is just one of those series that is so special to me that it would it would take a lot for me to like stop enjoying all now, that being said, I do ignore quite a lot of little things like Chocobo Mystery Dungeon and stuff like that. I, I don't super mess with, but any of like the mainline stuff that's made by Square Enix, I usually always play with. No, Spencer, Chocobo Mystery Dungeon, that's uh, a Let's talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, thoughts, just overall blankets, like what that, that opening scene when that started out. Like, any emotion, what did you get out of that? Well, I'm going to start because I actually don't know if you guys have already said this before in the previous episodes. I played and beat the original, but I was very late to the party. I never played it on PS1, and my nostalgia for it was it was that one that everyone else liked besides me a whole lot more. So, like, 7 for me was just kind of a whatever game, and a lot of my nostalgia for this world was, like, with stuff like Crisis Core and Advent Children. And it was really weird because even playing the demo and watching trailers, I was excited for this like as a game, but wasn't like I didn't feel it until earlier this week. I sat down and watching that opening cutscene, not only like giving me chills in a way that I'd never felt about seven before, just like with that music and just the way everything was presented, I it like I, I'm not even too ashamed to admit this. Like I was like almost welling up, but like how it just felt so surreal. Like I felt like I went into like a classic RPG time machine. It was just such a perfect opening. Um. Yeah. I and obviously, so this being my, I don't even know. Like I say, I I really enjoyed thirteen. I don't know if I ever actually completed it, but this being my first Final Fantasy game that I've played the story through. Um. Obviously, I played the demo for it, and seeing that, that was really cool. So, kind of expected that to be the beginning. I didn't expect that to be, like, the first thing you're doing coming off of uh, as soon as, like, you press new game. Um, but just seeing it still in its full form, uh, you almost shed, like, a tear. I almost felt like a, a Ron Swanson at the Grand Canyon type of feel, um, if you guys get what I'm saying. But it just absolutely beautiful. Um, and I don't... I don't I know, Greg, we had talked about this outside of the podcast, but there are people, I think we actually talked about it last week a little bit, uh, people complaining about texture and stuff like that. I never thought any of that bothered me. It just, front to back, looked graphically so good, and I enjoyed it so much. It's particularly in that opening sequence. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah as somebody who's diehard Final Fantasy 7 fan, I've got tattoos, I've got all kinds of stuff. Original gaming, I've got all of it. Uh, well, I mean, no one, no one can one up your uh, I heart Tifa tramp stamp. I mean, that's just a special moment for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what you made in your younger years. But no, like that, that opening scene, like I remember 2015 when they announced it, I was actually at work in the back that refused to work in the morning um, while the PlayStation experience was going on, watching the PlayStation experience, and I was with that crowd when that opening scene started and everybody flipped their minds. Um, I was sitting on the couch with my wife. I don't want to say crying, but definitely a tear hit my eyes. This is this is something that I can have. Uh, what is it, 24 years? 24 years after the release of, of the game. Yeah, itself, 23. And I get to re-experience my favorite game of all time as a brand new game. Like, it's something that I've never seen before. And that's, that's probably my biggest takeaway from this game itself, is that we hear all the time in games media, you know, wouldn't you like to experience your favorite game new? And that's what I got. Um, so before we go on anything else, opening scene, like I said, opening itself, that is my biggest takeaway out of this. Um, maybe a little biased about how much I like the game, but that's that's definitely so. Um, but let's just get right into it. Let's let's go with the negatives first. What didn't you like about this? Game? Mm, I, I'll. You want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll start first because. Uh, for me, it's actually pretty short. And obviously for me, I don't really have anything to compare it to. I don't, I'm not any sort of like a video game expert in like, oh, these are how mechanics should work or here's how it would work better. I only know of stuff that like irritates me. And there wasn't a lot in this game that irritated me. Um, I know, Greg, you had talked about last week. Um, it got kind of distracting hearing some of the bypassers, seeing that dialogue come up on the side. And then especially like levels wise, hearing them, the closer you got, it's overpowering maybe something that should have been more important. So that was overwhelming at some points in time. And I just completely forget the point of a mission until like someone's like, maybe we should go this way. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, it kind of annoyed me with some of the maps that it would it almost felt like it reset after you discovered areas and then it would like brighten up. But then you'd go back to the area Um and I know specifically with like chapter five, cause I know the landscape and some of the other places change. Um, but it's just like, it treats it almost like, Oh, you've never been here before. It's like, what, what, what are you talking about? I found a kid there. Yes, I've been there. Uh, but those are really the only things that I have to complain about it. That's really funny. You bring that up as a complaint. I have to ask both of you, what was your sound setup for it? Cause I was playing with 7.1 surround sound headphones. Were you guys just using TV speakers? I was actually using, um, I don't know if there's something for one, but there's a total beach at those headphones. Um, what about you? So I, I flipped between, so I wasn't playing on a TV screen. I have a computer monitor with uh, external speaker set up. So sometimes I play on that. But most of the time it was usually like late at night. So I popped in uh, some headphones. I don't know what the number would be for them, but they're noise canceling and they sound awesome. Yeah, so it's interesting you, you brought that up. Uh, I've heard a lot of people sort of talk about the unevenness of the sound mixing, and it's really weird because they did a really great job with it for if you're using surround sound, I'm assuming whether it be speakers or headphones, that it works really, really well, but it's always in dynamic. It doesn't like let you switch. There's no sound setting for, hey, I have a normal speaker or here's how my speakers are set up. So yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm just like playing this on a normal TV or monitor, and as soon as you walk into a store, it just sounds like there's blaring music from the thing, even though you're right next to the guy. Yeah. So it, I'm sure stuff like that'll get fixed in like a patch, but it is kind of, 
it's really weird because you, you mentioned that your list of negatives is small and mine is as well. There's like, well, I had this moment as I was beating the game uh, just a couple hours ago of, I'm amazed it didn't even hit me sooner. This amazingly huge two Blu-ray disc, like triple A game. And I'm like, wow, you know what's crazy? Is that there's not even been a day one patch for this game. Not even like a week anything patch. And I genuinely had like, I think, three bugs in over 40 hours of playing. I don't know about you guys. Like, did you guys, like, at least in terms of technical complaints, have very many, like, bugs? There's one bug that I ran into. So the vents? Yep. And that's everybody trying to do that. Dude, that's the weird thing. I've met two people who haven't. And, wow. like, every time I, ran, I I kept restarting the game, and I'm like, this is the weirdest, like, how that bug was... So I don't, know, I, don't I like what the criteria is. I don't know what you guys are talking about. So can you can you uh, enlighten me on what this would be? If you go to um, spy on the office. You have to go through the vent restroom. Mm-hmm. When you do, there are different vents you can look into. Um, we have different conversations in those vents that occur just between regular people. My experience that I had with that was when I went to go look into it, you go find all you look at the vent. I can't back up. That uh, that makes sense because I skipped right over those. <laughs> but no, essentially, I mean, as far as audio, what I was talking about last week was, and I only noticed this like once or twice, but in chapter three, um, when Tegan's are showing you around, I'm trying to listen to her, but there's so many conversations going on that all I hear, I heard, I couldn't hear what people were saying. I was only hearing all the world building. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's definitely not perfect, but it's one of those like weird ones of like for me, I actually enjoyed the crosstalk, especially when it would be stuff like when you're in sector five in the slums and there's like the uh, after like the plate falls, everyone's watching the TV at the same time and stuff, and like you're hearing everyone like while watching the TV, like they're not just watching it in silence and then reacting; they're actually like having reactions, which I enjoyed the intent of it, but yeah, it's definitely not flawed. So yeah, when you're walking around with TV, it's like a little, little on the rougher side. Oh, I love the, the world of the game. That like, I mean, it's, it makes everything so much more immersive, so much more realistic, because it's not the body standing there. It's conversations being had among people, whether it's the same conversation or how long you stand there or not. It's still having, creating a bigger world Square Enix took a, a molehill and made a mountain out of this game, so um, it, it's little things like that that are awesome. It, did you have any other complaints this time, too? A really, really tiny list. A uh, big one for me, and this is so odd, but there is one side quest boss fight that just stuck out to me as such a negative sore point. And that was when you're doing Corneo's secret stash, when you're in the sewers with Leslie, that last little stash you have to drain out to unlock, there's a little amphibian trio boss fight where you have to fight one of the princes and just two of the regular ones. That fight was so infuriating to me in the sense of, like, it's like the battle mechanics weren't the problem. The area was so cramped, and those enemies jump around and have this, like, AoE effect spell that will turn you into frogs. And they do that so much, and the battle was so chaotic. That was one of the rare moments of a fight that made me mad, even though it didn't kill me, and even though it didn't really take that long in the grand scheme of things. 
it was one of those odd moments of like every other fight in the game I loved and I thought was so perfect that that one moment of just wow this was really poorly designed and like I can understand why it was just like another like part of a bigger side quest and the fact that like I played this massive game and had one battle where I was like yeah this sucked for a battle system that is now easily like my favorite RPG only action RPG battle system I've like ever played because it's definitely not perfect like you can't say to someone oh this plays like kingdom hearts or even something similar to like um i think of a good example this game actually is really weird because it's actually very similar to the omega force persona 5 spinoff that hasn't come out in america yet a lot of moving around world building stuff but also like managing your meters managing bars even though that one has a lot more like action to it it's very hard to get those action RPGs to not just boil down and feel like you're button mashing at the end of the day. Yeah, that's. I definitely started this thing, game thing with button mashing by halfway through. Like, like that game um, no, I mean, kind of some of the issues I've had because I've logged 60 plus hours in it now. Um, as a top four board team, going for the platinum, and I'm, I'm almost there. Um, I I can't stand up when you go back in the chapters. You don't have. You have to recollect the items um, that you need for specific things. So, like one of the things when you're in chapter three, you're doing that, that quest, you have to go and find the key in the box. You have to refine that key, even though you've already had it before, which is minor, but it's infuriating when you look at all the items you have to do. Um, that same thing with like the robotic arms, I get as part of the story, it's all story building. But as I'm going through this the second time, maybe, maybe I'm just nitpicking, maybe they'll patch it. But as I'm going through the second time, I really don't want to do those robotic arms. It's really weird, though, because the chapter select and the stuff that they implement after you beat the game, there are so many steps forward that make getting the completion so nice. Because it's like, hey, as a completionist and like someone who does trophies a lot, it's very rare that if a game is like that I want to do a platinum for, it's like, hey, you have to do another playthrough. Yeah. That always sucks. Yeah. And the fact that you can just kind of pick it off however you want in whatever order. Because like for me, the first thing I did when I did the game in Chapter Select was I'm going back to the bike minigame with Jesse and I want to see what happens if you do well enough. And like that was really nice that I could just skip a couple of those cutscenes, start up Chapter 4, and just get into that. But then there are other little weird things like you mentioned of you have to get all the key stuff you basically have to go through everything and if you don't finish the chapter everything you did was kind of for naught so it is sort of weird because they have steps of that that are like hey we're doing this for you but you can tell there are a couple little things out there along the way that whether it be for technical reasons or just because they wanted you to really replay through some of those longer chapters it's just kind of weird because on paper it seems like it's a flawless system until you realize a lot of those chapters are really different in length like chapter 17 is going to take you about three times as long as it took you to be chapter three. Oh, I mean, right up there with chapter uh, chapter ten, right after Cornero, um, the sewers is a breeze. Like play, I played it through on hard mode, and I'm like, wow, this is really easy. And then, but chapter eight and nine before that one, on God, mm -hmm. stupid um, long. But it's but it, there's also a lot more conversation in those, so I understand that. But there's it's so drastic um, that it makes that chapter select. A little unforgiving like I said, you can go into eight, you know, it could be two hours, three hours, even you go into chapter 10, it's like a third. Yeah, and in other little things, like it's really weird that there's not a option.
option on the menu select for the VR simulator or the or the Coliseum. Yeah, but I mean, I kind of get that. Uh, the VR simulator is not too hard to get to. Chapter fourteen, which we'll get to it. Yeah, the Coliseum. In the Coliseum. The Coliseum you can get to pretty quick in the fourteen as well once you get that. Uh, well, the thing is, like, if you want to do, if you want to do Aeriths, though, you have to go back to to nine. And you have to go through all that. You have to go through the Coliseum, and then before you leave the Coliseum, go back to the Coliseum to get I just did that video stuff. So. Um, but, but I mean, outside of that, I really don't have anything to complain about. Did you guys try playing any of the North besides Middle? Um, I messed around with Classic for the demo to the extent of like, okay, I get this. Like, there, there wasn't going, I could tell by playing in the demo that it wasn't going to get any deeper to a point like that I'd have to go back in the full game and try it out, which I'm kind of glad. Like, I'm glad that's there for it, but I'm very excited to get into hard more. I like the limiters it does, while at the same time still keeping everything. It's like the perfect way of like, hey, beat this game harder, but it's still new game plus and you're not too hanging I went so after I beat the game on normal, uh, I went back and just did got all the other achievements on easy and then saving everything that was left for at least my trophy wise to when I did my hard playthrough. So I have not touched hard yet. So I've played seven of 18 chapters on hard. Um, as I described to Matt uh, and Caleb, I think via text this week. The best way to explain hard mode versus easy mode is hard mode is you get all the items, but you can't use them. And easy mode is you, you have all the items, but you don't need Because um, once you beat the game, you play for one game, you're really flipping things away. Um, I had to go back through to get my dresses. So I was playing through chapter chapter 8 when I had to fight Reno. And I said, you know what, I want to see what classic is. Let's check it out. Started playing classic. Wife brought me some breakfast. So I started eating the breakfast, but on classic, it'll automatically fight for you. So I just watched the fight. <laughs> like, I, well, honestly, I, I have to say it's been funny how there's been a lot of talk of all the collectors uh, either enjoying or finding hard mode too hard, and then all the people who have been like, "Oh, well, isn't easy or classic too easy?" I feel like not enough people have been giving the shout out to normal. I thought normal, like that whole playthrough for me, was just perfectly. Like the first one, oh, like if it was mm-hmm. like if it was if hard was available, I would have regretted picking it for a first part because like you're learning that system. Because like when I played the demo, similar to you of like thinking it was going to be a lot more actiony, I I kept thinking I was using things right, and then like the longer I played, the more I realized, oh, I'm actually playing wrong. Because like you like you know, the longer you someone has played Final Fantasy VII remake, the more they're in their menus or using short. Which is funny because I didn't use shortcuts until I got the 300% um, stagger achievement to the trophy today. But I, I, yeah, I was in, you're right though, I was in my, my menus constantly. I was jumping from character to character on a regular basis. Um, I never stuck around with one character long enough to oversee my welcome. Like if, if their ATV bar was full, it was empty as I was leaving them. And that very rarely happened. But yeah, it was playing on hard mode is the exact amount of hard I want. Um, if, if you had started hard mode from scratch one and never played the game, you would not beat this game. Because it is so infuriating if you haven't played it yet. 
But yeah, Normal was a great run. Worked perfectly. It did have its trying times. It was easy. It was a great balance as well. Um, but let's get into some of the characters. So they, we know they changed some of the characters uh, to what we see of them from the original. If you didn't know that yet, Matt, you're about to find out. No, I've, um, I've seen plenty of uh, comments on the internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs. Three favorite characters from the original, uh, but you only saw them for, what, Spencer, 30 minutes tops? Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're lucky, like... Any moment on the pillar in the original release, when they when they end up perishing and stuff, it's like, eh, that sucks, but let's keep moving. Whereas, like, going up the pillar and even, like, the aftermath of, like, those characters, like, and the moments they've had, whether they live or die throughout Final Fantasy VII, it was like, man, I, I cared about people in ways that I never, ever <laughs> would have thought. Not even just, like, oh, I, I'm not super tied to a lot of these characters emotionally. Just in little ways, like for me, I got, and this is really weird, and I don't know if this is like super untasteful, this goes to show like how well the characters like hit for me, is I got like the biggest 9-11 vibes, not from when the plate fell, but when you're in chapter 15, and you're on the top side of the plate. Mm. And you're just, and it finally hit me as I was like looking over the, the top side of the plate that fell, I was like, Oh my god! Yeah, and, all like if, if all the people who escaped on the bottom, like hey, a lot of people probably died and got hurt. All those people on the top just got totally blindsided. No one evacuated them at all, and it really came home for me hard. As I don't know what I was doing, but I was playing through it, and I remembered Jesse's dad. I was like, oh my god, they are all totally dead because they were in the top side of the Oh gosh, why'd you have to do that to me, Spencer? Oh gosh. <laughs> crazy because it was just like it hit me in all these ways that like man i'm not only am i caring for like biggs wedge and jesse but like i care about jesse's dad who was in like a vegetable state things like i never would have like thought about caring in little small ways like honestly even other little things that hit me after beating the game where i'm set i'm like oh man only one of wedge's cats made it and yeah, no, so I was gonna say both though. I got, but I got the Metal Eleven vibes from um, the way people were walking around and kind of communicating in their shock and awe. After oh, you like like the tunnel them. when you're going back to the slums is yes. depressing. Just those people who won't move. Yeah, like that like state of shock they're in. Like it was, it was truly impressive how well they nailed the serious as well as the goofy because i think like when you think of final fantasy 7 it's really easy to think of the epic moments and the funny moments but like the fact that all of these really serious parts as well never felt hollow and like they hit just as hard as everything else is like such a true testament to like not only like oh good job on them for translating this into the original game i mean into this remake but like hey those those themes were trying to be there in the this is part of what makes seven so special you just see a lot clearer now and i want to uh spencer you talked about whenever when it really hits you that like all these emotions are rushing back is like in 15 when you finally climb to the top and you look over and you see everything uh the utter devastation that's going on honestly for me i think that was probably the most visually impactful like scene that square enix could have built when doing this remake and i I just look at that. I had to 
Greg, I know you've been pushing for it. I know a lot of people have been pushing for it. If there was a photo mode, that would have been the first photo I would have taken, hands down. Uh, but just seeing all that and just like, wow, like all that's really gone. It's like whether you helped that guy hitting on Tifa get rid of those doom rats, you're just like, man, he probably didn't make it. And it just oh, just blows me away. Yeah, I, I got up there, Matt, and I took screenshots because I wasn't actually all the way we look. Um, but Jesse, I mean, let, let's start with Jesse the three. That girl's thirsty. <laughs> oh, that's an insult to thirsty girls. This girl is like if someone rolled up all the horny parts of Reddit and Tumblr, put it in a suit of armor with a headband, and then just told her to hump cloud for like three hours. That girl, although. I will say this, and I've not actually heard anyone say otherwise. Somehow, like no matter through all the thirsty jokes and stuff aside, I never found her annoying, no. which I was mm-hmm. like really prepared to with that character trait. It would have been really easier to just make her like a really cringe-worthy character. I think. Well, I was just gonna say I think part of that was it didn't overstay its welcome, especially with Jesse's character because she wasn't in. She was in a good chunk of the game, but she wasn't like there consistently doing that, which I thought they were able to at least have a little bit more freedom with. Because if it's something that was recurring like every two chapters, then it's just like, all right, she got to go. I don't care if I got to drop the plate myself. But I, I think, yeah, I didn't find her annoying either. So, question What did it mean when you left her house and she said, psych? Oh, uh, that was basically, like, her trying to be cute way of, like, no coming in, no peeking, and then, like, the psych of, like, saying, please come in, I'm, I'm ready. The pants oh. are off if you open that door. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's what that meant. Okay, that, that's what I thought, but I was like, my son was like, what did she mean by that? A lot of that, though, is her mannerisms, and it's a, it translates a lot less smoothly for characters like Jesse. Yeah. Like, you, you guys kind of notice, like, Tifa has her, like, moments and, like, her mannerisms, like, arms up, I'm ready to go. Like, the members of Avalanche all have their thumbs up. Uh, Aerith always has the, like, stick butt out, lean head forward, like, tilt head. Like, little, those little things that you can definitely show that, hey, this game was 100% mo-capped in Japan. Of, like, they don't super translate really well in English, but little things like Jesse saying psych, because she does it more than that one as well. She's just that kind of, like, Without, like, in sounding insulting, I guess the best way to, like, describe just her whole mentality is she's, um, I guess, like, a, I guess a fuck girl instead of a fuck, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was sorry, I, I just realized, A, the, the, the bad word I just used, I guess the best word of that would be, like, an F girl, or whatever the clean alternative to that is, instead of, like, a girl who is really flirty and, like, opens up with a bunch of other guys, if that kind of makes sense. But, like, not in a... It, it never, like, stole it off as even, like, oh, she is, like, a lesser... Like, a less desired girl because she flirts with everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell she's not just doing this through Cloud because it was, like, love at first sight. It's just kind of one of those things, like, she probably just does that to a lot of guys. See, that kind of got a different vibe from her. I got a vibe that she's really in the cloud. <laughs> it's also a little hard because you literally see her only with her teammates, her mom, and Cloud. So you don't really get a good sense of, like, that with it. Um, but no, yeah, you're right. It, it's one of those ones as well. Like I'm in the weird middle camp of like, I liked Jesse, but the way that like everyone on the internet has been talking about her is like how I feel about Wedge. For whatever reason, I, I, I love Wedge as much as the internet seems to love Messi, but for a totally different reason. <laughs> no, I, I love Wedge because he's like my personification. That man wears cargo shorts 
He's got suspenders that I wish I could pull off, and all he cares about is eating. <laughs> By the way, that guy killed that role. That actor just nailed that role in a way that I would never have guessed. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it, definitely. Like I, I love, I love, uh, I love Wesley. Like I was sitting there playing back through Chapter Four today to get that trophy uh, for the bike, and it was yeah, it was that moment where he's like, I gotta top off, and then I sat there and thought about it. This kid's always talking about eating food. <laughs> so I have a question. Yeah, um, so obviously, if you get to the end, there's the surprise, surprise. Uh, Jesse and Biggs made it. Did Wedge actually die? Well, actually, no. The interesting because I went back and watched this as well. It shows Biggs is on the bed. The bed next to him is empty. We do not see uh, any form of Jesse at all. But Jesse's glove is on the counter. Jesse's glove is on it, but the bed next to him is empty. But they weren't together, remember that. So it's entirely possible she could have already up the wall. Very, very true. Uh, Wedge is really ambiguous, and I doubt we're going to get into the whispers right away. We'll probably say that over, like, in talk. But, so the whispers taking him away was definitely more of a thing that was like, hey, you passed away in the original version of, like, our timeline with Destiny and stuff. So maybe that was them trying to, like, right the wrongs of it. But we have not actually seen the whispers murder someone. And so I bet he's probably either just kind of hidden away or got tucked out of that tower like wedge is a sort of an odd one of like he kind of gets dragged off screen in the sense of like to add more mystery to the sequel so i don't i don't really think it's like super fair to be like oh i hold i I don't feel cheated by how they ended wedge's story just because like leaving that open-ended i actually appreciate just because that that leaves him willing to show up in future games yeah you're right we will get to this with many many um, but, uh, so we got Jesse, we got Wedge Biggs. I mean, Snake, or Biggs, we to call him. <laughs> I think that's, like, an insult to Snake, just because, like, I love Biggs, but, like, Biggs is, like, if Snake had OCD and doubted himself a whole lot instead of questioned others. Well, like, the, the whole time I looked at this game, I was like, if I'm not mistaken, Metal Gear came out around the same time as this game. And maybe this was the original intentions of what they wanted uh, uh, Biggs look like, and all I could think the whole time was, that's Solid Snake. That's like, bootleg, not, not bootleg Solid Snake, but like, Solid Snake before he becomes Solid Snake. It's also tough, because like, that look is just so copied from like, 80s machismo oh, yeah. and stuff. So it's like, it's a copy of a copy of like, it. at some point, like, it probably wasn't even like, undone intentionally. It was just like, like, through, like, osmosis, like, you just kind of put all those elements together in your head. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger from Rambo. It's um, Charlie Sheen from, what, Hot Shots or whatever it is, the spoof movie they made off those. Like, it's, it's yeah, right, it's all those action movie, 80s kind of spoofs uh, rolled into one. Um, so those those three main characters, a lot changed with those originals because they did die in the pillar, 100% confirmed dead in the pillar. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, Aerith and Tifa. Let's go to those two. Because they changed them up a little bit. I think not, a little bit. I would, say, I would say let's start with Tifa, because Tifa's probably the most pure to her original character out of all four of the main playables. 100%. 100%. Yeah, so Tifa, uh, childhood friend still, um, grew up in Nibelheim with, with Cloud. They saw each other five years ago. We got all this kind of stuff confirmed. She's exactly what I always imagined Tifa 
playing through the game, that's what I saw when I was 12 years old. Was that character. Don't, don't make this horrible. That's not what I meant. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, we, we're following. Yeah. So, I, I don't have any ups, downs, negatives. Like, I'm, I'm so happy with the way they put Yeah, I... For me, it was one of those odd ones of, like, I've always really liked Tifa, but for for some reason, and I, I can only, I guess, really tie this to, like, her voice actor, just really, like, selling to me, like, I felt such a pull towards wanting to interact with her as much as possible, like, outside of just because they are psych quests and I want to experience as much of this game as possible, when in the beginning of the game, and it's just you and Tifa going around the slums and stuff, I enjoyed that just because it was, I wanted to spend more time with her. So when you guys go back to your apartments and she's like, hey, let's celebrate, let's go out and stuff. Like, I was excited for, like, just those social elements. It wasn't even what I was doing. It was just because watching the two of them interact was very interesting. Yeah, I I didn't look that deep into the characters. I thought they were enjoyable and nothing seemed out of place to me. So it, it's an all-around win. <laughs> I mean, and as far as Aerith, um, I love how they kind of progressed for sort of a bit. I honestly always have been an Aerith fan. Um, but I love how, you know, we found out she was ancient almost right away. Like, there was no question about it whatsoever. You kind of knew she was kind of mystical beforehand in the original game, but they didn't really explain it until much later. Um, so they, they progressed that story a little bit, which led to the later chapters in the game and explained that a lot. Um, she's still true to who she was. I don't really feel like they've changed her too, too much, if at all. No, uh, she's, she's, like, up there with, like, Sephiroth of, like, you can't do anything with both of those characters, like, either visually or personality-wise without, like, upsetting, like, so many fans. Because, like, it, I think, even though they are not, like, my top three from the cast of Seven, Cloud, Aerith, and Sephiroth is just such a special trifecta of, like, characters who, like, since their incarnation have always been a certain kind of way and actually i will say when we do talk about cloud like i do actually like how how brave they were with committing to cloud not just being the silent protagonist and not just being like the quiet a-hole from admin children i do have to ask you though Brett, because i'm curious what is your experience or opinion like did your opinion of Aerith ever change with all of the further story like games and spinoffs for seven because for me actually i remember when i beat crisis core I ended up feeling like, you know what? I don't like Aerith as much as I thought. And it's not because I think she's a bad person. It was the more of that realization that hit me after playing Crisis Core of, wow, she's really only hanging out with Zack because she needs to... Th- she's only hanging out with Cloud because he's, like, just taking all those Zack boxes in play. See, I never got that vibe. Not once did I ever get that vibe from anything. He's playing Final Fantasy. Like, I, I, it's been a long time since I played through Crisis Core. And that's kind of why I was talking um, but it's what I remember from Christ Square is kind of humanizing. Like, I, I didn't feel like she was ever falling cloud around because it ticked all the Zach boxes. I just felt like it, she saw something that she loved before, and it, it, it kind of made her more human because she has her flaws too. Whereas before that, she was just a perfect creature, um, for the most part, but seeing all these things with that come through. I, I've never lost, uh, I guess, a love I will say, um, one of the interesting things, because you're, you're talking about um, 
especially you're talking about like you see that she's like oh this is just someone that's almost like uh zach 2.0 um and then obviously for lack of a better word it's like a glorified rebound like some people can kind of think of cloud right but i and this also plays into something that i'm sure we'll get into later uh because Greg, if you remember, one of the things I texted you is like, wait, so it's like Cloud going through psychosis in this entire game, but that's a separate conversation for later in this episode. Um, but having just like as they're approaching um, Sector 7 after they went through the collapsed expressway, uh, just having like those small intimate moments uh, that you're seeing as like the natural progression um, was a really cool thing to see from Aerith because sitting there, I was just like, I thought I know how this dynamic was supposed to go, at least based off the context clues from everything else that I've seen and read. Um, but more or less, everything kind of like took a left turn with how everything was handled, at least between those two. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the, the cold kind of only the bodyguard thing to high-fiving and celebrating with each other for that chapter. Oh my god, dude, the high-five arc, it's such a minor little thing but like the progression of her failing twice him trying and then like them finally doing it at the end it was it was little moments like that that like really made me feel like wow i really kind of see why people like cloud so much like obviously he was never always depicted like this but i feel like this personification of cloud i really see now why people are like he is like the perfect example of how to do a quiet protagonist right while still having his own story and i kept getting that so often with cloud because like just his progression of like just how he will let people talk and those interactions like honestly before the high five one of my favorite moments with it was that walk back before you parachute at the end of chapter four where everyone's talking about the mission like as you're all about to leave cloud bringing up uh her dad and stuff and just like that camaraderie and stuff everyone sort of has like man that was, it just felt so earned and none of it felt like it was just there to be filler yeah no it's i think one thing i love about all the characters in this game uh this time around was they all started off um, a little gruff for some of them I and mean, we'll get the fair as well but cloud definitely um they weren't necessarily communicating and working together but by the end of the game those who were, who were rough, like Cloud and Barrett, you can see the caring nature behind them towards the end of it. There's definitely that, like you said, the camaraderie built up over time because they were doing such a drastic feat. Um, even just from the little ones that started to be big, you know, invading the and kind of kicked them out pretty much. Um, but just seeing them change and evolve these characters and latch onto them and attach to them, the way they to change that. Everything about this game, as far as character building, for me personally, was phenomenal. It's really good because I don't know how you two, uh, how much experience with 15 you had, but one of the reasons I held 15 into such high regard is like, that game's story is far from perfect. You can tell that was one of the messiest things they had in transitioning the game from versus 13 to 15. And that whole brotherhood aspect and camaraderie between the four main playable characters in 15 is what saved that game and make it like amazing for me. And the fact that they just have added on, and yes, this is different subsectors and Square Enix's development and stuff, but the fact that this has an even stronger connection and bond with everyone. And obviously, yeah, you do have the nostalgia stuff to play out for some aspects, but even little things like I never cared about Marlene before. And in this one, like, 
watching Barrett even just like little things just like at the end when they're both like looking out the window towards each other it just hits differently like in the original game it's like oh you know he's gonna be back even though you still know that it hit me so much harder like man it really hurts him to have to leave but he's doing this because he's so passionate about what he believes in yeah it was it was it, it was cool watching very specifically the character ball um get that mushiness and knowing Marlene's backstory kind of had to be looking at it a little bit differently than I think Matt looked at it. But yeah, it was it was a great, great uh, backstory. That. Let's let's build off on what that was Barrett. What did what did you think of Barrett? I have to say, knowing everything I do and not really getting into future spoilers, I'm amazed at how good of a character arc they give him in this game, and it makes me even more excited because he has yet to even get to the best part of Barrett. Like, when you actually get into his whole story with Marlene and everything, that is when that character really brings home. So bringing that in earlier, I think, helped a whole lot with the story and the fact that it makes me even more excited to have those revelations and the potential follow-ups. Um, I, early on, again, like, not having any other sort of context for these characters, uh, did find Barrett a bit rough. Uh, more so on the annoying side of dealing with that. Um, but like, as everything's evolving, uh, the story continues and progresses, he becomes, uh, has way more depth to him. He becomes, instead of like a flat, stereotypical black character built in a Japanese game engine, uh, he becomes like this super complex human who is setting out to do what he thinks is right. And obviously like that has consequences in him, like realizing what's going on and having to like step up to the plate to try and like s essentially save the day. Uh, and I just absolutely loved what they did with Barrett. Yeah. They, they, they feel like there's like a little bit of hesitation in terms of like dissing on the, the characters, not clicking with you in the beginning. Cause you're so right. That's how you're supposed to feel when you first meet Barrett, especially if you have no context for who he is. That's why that scene of when he's giving Jesse and cloud the rant about like, the planet dying they have that look at each other They're like my god he's such a blowhard like yes he's like coming from a good point but it's like yeah even the characters agree it's like he is just a he is a zero to a hundred percent guy he has no chill and that's just his personality and it, it is not for everybody mm -hmm. and i think it goes to show that even like someone like you who is new to the character through the process of just this part of the game story won you over um sephiroth we saw more Sephiroth than we ever saw in the original part of Midgar of Final Fantasy VII. I think the only bit of Sephiroth we saw in Final Fantasy VII was iconic in the present back at the That was it. That's all we saw of Sephiroth um, until we got to calm down outside of the city. But we saw, like I said, we saw him all the time. We saw him starting off in Chapter 2. Uh, we kind of got a little hint of him in the very first chapter with that dark black uh, feather there. Um, and we saw him consistently throughout the game. How did you guys feel about Seth Rockin? So I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this one because... I was going to say, I, I was going to make you go first because you have the most unique perspective of Seth Rockin. Um For a lot of the game, because obviously, uh, Greg, knowing you, your relationship with uh, Final Fantasy VII... 
and getting to talk to you on a weekly basis about games that we absolutely love uh, and knowing that Sephiroth originally wasn't really seen or felt in this section of Final Fantasy VII storyline. Um, it was intriguing to see what they were doing with him and having him show up. And I'm not even going to lie. I was straight up just confused for 98% of the game until I and got to... Be. That's why I wanted to hear from you, because I was like, you don't know anything about this dude. It's just like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, this has to be the worst developed character for anyone new coming into this series. And the thing is, like, so... So, I love Kingdom Hearts. I've played every single Kingdom Hearts game that's come out. Um, and so I know there's, like, a relationship there. I just didn't know what it was. And especially since they're now remaking this game into something of a new game. Uh, it, it is a new game. Um, when I finally get to that 98% of the game done and everything clicks, and I was just like, oh my goodness, this was done so well. I love everything about this, and I want more of it. It's really surprising that, I mean, clearly they, and I don't know how you feel about this, Greg, I feel like with Sephiroth, his inclusion while great in terms of like thematically and foreshadowing stuff, I think it nails it on those accounts. It's really, really hard for me as someone who knows the grand scheme of everything, even though a lot of Final Fantasy VII Remake is about subverting. It is hard for me to say that after I beat this game, for me to think of anything else other than the fact that, hey, we need an excuse to fight Sephiroth in this game called Final Fantasy VII Remake, even though he's technically not even supposed to be like seen by the characters by now. See, I don't. I was shocked by that that you fight. Shocked and not shocked that you fought Sephiroth, because um, it kind of signified breaking of the destiny. Uh, so I was more shocked when. You saw Sephiroth Swan dive off of the Chimney. Um, I was shocked. Well, remember that that, that that technically wasn't. Sephiroth. Oh, I know. That's why I was shocked when I saw Swan dive. Okay, um, okay, okay. I was shocked when you saw him in Chapter Two, and you were flashing back to behind. Which again, the flashbacks you kind of hinted at, but we didn't really see until we got outside the city itself. So you, you got bits and pieces of happening. Um, I was I was shocked by the correlation. I don't know if you guys picked up on it. The correlation between Sephiroth and Barrett and Cloud of Tifa. So in Chapter Two, I don't know what the meaning is behind this. I'm not that kind of guy, but I just picked up on playing through it again. In Chapter Two, he's followed through Sephiroth, and he tells you to hold on to that anger. Barrett says the same thing to Tifa. I wonder hmm. if, if that's not a specific correlation in terms of pairing of characters specifically more so just a lot of uh, a lot of like RPGs especially Japanese ones are very big on we have a theme and a large one with Final Fantasy 7 like like Matt a good example is if you have to describe the theme of Final Fantasy 7 from your playthrough of Remake what is the first word that comes to mind? Oof. Um, I was not ready for that level of a, uh, of a question if I were to give it a word I'd probably say change. Yeah, because a lot of it is from the perspective of Barrett with Avalanche, and like you're trying to take Shinra down to change like the Maka reactors and save the planet. 
Whereas, I don't want to speak for you, Greg, but for me, when I think of Final Fantasy VII, it has always been death. It has been, it is about death, it's about life, and rebirth, and stuff like that. And it's just because I played through that whole original game, you don't necessarily get that. And that's not a negative, it's just one of those different levels of themes. Because like, there are, especially as you get further on in the story, lots of things about hate, about using that hate and holding on to that anger and putting it towards something, whether it be good or bad or evil. Yeah. I guess I guess that's true. Because I mean, you have not a huge father, you have been saved, you have that whole kind of Hojo line throughout the entire game. Yeah, I, I guess that is a good point. It kind of goes into that. Um, but Seth, I love Seth Rollins. I think they implemented him in ways that kept fans who are new to series intrigued and questioning, and did the same thing for fans who know how it all plays out originally. Because I don't know what you spent but through the entire game, I was like, what is happening with Sephiroth? I did not expect him to be one of the many different numbered people um, just carrying out stupid missions at Yeah, I, I definitely agree. My biggest worry, whether it be with the marketing, like how he's on the cover of the Steelbook, and like, like uh, if you like, if you look, and even he's not even just on the cover of the Steelbook, he is the back of the box. He takes up the majority of it, like. He is heavily marketed, so my biggest worry is they were going to throw him in there and it was not going to have a lot of meaning. Oddly enough, even though I said he probably was more in there due to need as opposed to creativity like demanding it, I think they nailed it with him. I am amazed at how much I really liked the uh, actor's depiction of it because the whole new English voice cast is different. And... I just think it was really, really good in terms of, like you said, whether you're new, he has that mystery, and even if you're old and have been playing this for a while, you don't know what's happening. Because, like, the whole time you're like, what is supposed to happen? Like, for me, that moment of the whispers and even seeing the failed uh, clones, that moment of why is all this happening? I remember when you wake up before the big bombing mission and all of the whispers are flying all over the slums, I actually went back into my game footage because I looked down for a moment when Cloud woke up. I thought I had, like, missed something. So I was like, oh, this seems so drastic and different. Like, I clearly <laughs> must have, like, pressed something to, like, skip a cutscene. It just felt so crazy. But then the fact that, like, once I understand the context of everything better and understand everything else more with it, it's like, no, yeah, as crazy as this is, the whispers were not in the original game of in any way, shape, or form. Thematically, they actually make sense. They might not be the most popular answer as to why they are there, but for me personally, like all those little elements, like why Sephiroth is there and what these crazy black ghosts are, I was amazed the whole time of how it kept me guessing, wanting more, and all the answers I got were satisfying. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say one thing regarding Sephiroth. Because uh, obviously, Spencer, like I told you, I love Kingdom Hearts and played all of them. I have been scarred by the Sephiroth fights in Kingdom Hearts. And so going through this game and seeing him, and Greg can attest to this, I would like every once in a while just text. I was like, if I have to fight Sephiroth, I just might have to jump off a bridge. I really hope I don't have to fight him. And then lo and behold, we get to the end and what happens? We're fighting Sephiroth. And I, I died a couple of times, but in the end, we got the dub. So can't complain. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, 
One of my biggest complaints when I played through Kingdom Hearts 3 last year, along with a lot of other people, I didn't mind the lack of Final Fantasy representation. My biggest thing was that I was sad that we didn't get to continue on the little subplot storyline between Cloud and Sephiroth that had been starting ever since uh, the Coliseum in Kingdom Hearts 1. Mm -hmm. And now that I've played through Final Fantasy 7 Remake, I 100% understand why they did not have anything Final Fantasy related in Kingdom Hearts 3. Because it is on such another level in Remake that, and this is no disrespect to the Osaka team who makes Kingdom Hearts 3, any fight they could have had in Kingdom Hearts 3 would not have been even an inch as amazing as that final fight. Oh yeah, in this I agree. Like, for me, and I don't know like how, how you felt with it, my quintessential like Sephiroth fight moment for the longest time was that ending fight in Advent Children. And the fact that this one not only won up that, but made it playable, was all the more memorable. Oh, yeah. It was it was phenomenal. Um, kind of keep things rolling here, though. I, I said before I love how they made a mountain out of them. Um, they did that with Avalanche. Because I don't know about you, Spencer, but when I was replayed through Final Fantasy VII, I thought Avalanche was just the five and then that is, I never even thought to think that Avalanche was this entire... You know, city-wide, cross-slum section, um, activist team. I just figured it was just them. What did you think? It was really interesting because the talk about them just being a subcell was mentioned in the original, but it's so passing, it's so fleeting. Of them being basically a rejected cell for being too radical of wanting to blow up the Maka reactors. It gets very little head show and whatnot in the original but with the remake, I think it's great because it shows, and they mention it more for sure, but not only that, of just the little things, like showing that the mayor is part of it, and other things like when you're in Chapter 4 and the actual avalanche comes to like save you, like save you guys in the last moment. Little things like that make it feel a lot more realistic of like, hey, they are a presence. They're probably only in the top side and doing a lot more like covert stuff, but it, it definitely made them kind of feel more believable because when you start the original, even when you start this game, you would not be mistaken for thinking Avalanche is for people. And I got a, I got a question for you, Spencer. Um, as somebody who played Final Fantasy VII originally, the energy that the uh, all the reactors were into the ground before this game, what did you call it? Um, for me, I I had heard the the live stream before I'd even done a full playthrough, so I think it's, a, for me, it's always been, like, the live stream. I guess where I'm going at, did you ever say Mako or Mako? Oh, I was always a Mako guy. I was always a Mako. That's, that's definitely a PlayStation 1 thing. Of Everyone I know who played first on PlayStation 1 did that. The only, the, the first time I ever heard Mako, oddly enough, was from Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> I remember I saw Mako, someone said Mako, and then when I would play games later, I would always immediately just associate it with the character. So that's where I come from, but that's like that's totally like a Ryu Ryu thing. It's, like before you hear it, I think it's an old man, young man kind of thing. Um, so, <laughs> so kind of as I say, keep this rolling. I love the way they did Avalanche. Um, I got a couple questions for you, real quick. I just want to find out what you guys did. Did you guys choose elevator or stairs? Greg I chose elevator. Loved it for the thematic story element of it, and immediately saw the stairs. I'd forgotten about the stair moment. I ran down all 50-plus floors, and I was like, there's no loading screen for this whole sequence? Like, that is amazing from, like, a technical side. And then it hit me. 
I was like, oh my god, why did I not do the stairs? Because I forgot how it worked in the original game. And it is so funny. I went through and I actually reloaded a save just so I could do it again. Both are amazing. Both are definitely worth experiencing. But the stairs had so much, like, just hilarious, like, love and affection put into it. Just, like, even with the fact that when you're climbing up the stairs, it showed what floor everyone was on. It, it, I, I loved everything about both. What, what did you guys pick first? Greg, you convinced me to do the stairs. I, because I was just like, well, they're making us choose. And I thought you were saying that to save me from doing, like, a battle or something like that. Because I have no idea what the elevator does at this point in time. Uh, I think I read something that nothing really happens, but you're, it's a matter of just like you're, it both goes to the same place. Like, how are you getting there? Essentially, is that correct? Have you done the elevator yet? I've done both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the elevator. The elevator is worth experiencing. That I, I would say next time you like get a chance. It, it is. It is. Oh yeah, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. But Matt, what did you think of the stairs? Um. At first. And I didn't put as much technical thought as you did, uh, Spencer. But I was sitting here and I was, I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going up the stairs. And then I was like, wow, they're really making us go up all these flights of stairs. And halfway through, it's like everyone's kind of getting tired, slowing down as they're going up the stairs. It was really cool. But at the same time, I just, I just had to question my life. Even though I'm not the one going up the stairs physically, I was tired, Greg. I was tired. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved that moment. I mean. You had that same option in the original game. Um, it was much faster going up the stairs in the original game. But I love that dialogue, the, the action of the character himself as Barrett is, you know, he gets, he sprints and then he pretty much just stops and he's calling up the stairs and he gets the second win. And Cloud as your main character playing as, like, he's, he's running and it's actually getting slower for him to climb the stairs the higher up he goes. I love that kind of attention detail to it. Chief was just like, well, what's up, guys? I do this all the time. I made no big deal. I'm spring to the top and I'll run back down the catch and go again. Um, but the dialogue between the characters, that was that moment I was talking about, Matt, last week when I said the comedy between the seriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, before you go into the Shinra building, it's kind of serious. Got to get up there, got to fight these guys, avoid dying, all this other stuff, jumping, um, you know, into the building itself, go through the garage, and then as you get into the building, you go up these stairs, and it's just this absolute line of calming for me that led into you being in the building itself. And the elevator is the same way. Um, the elevator, you do have two fights. They're not complicated whatsoever, but the some of the stops you make along the way um, definitely had its own ability to it. It is much, much better. Gotcha. Did you guys notice the musical Easter egg with the stairs? I didn't catch on to that, no. Okay, so just to go to show, because I don't know how much into music you guys are, but when we do talk about music, I have a lot to say about this game's soundtrack, and it's 19 composers on it. Um, the track is one continuous tape, or it tries to make it, of if you actually listen the tempo keeps slowing down every 10 floors, like maybe 10% or so. And it's like to represent the orchestra getting tired of playing. It's like the, the most like millennial way to compare it to is that clip of SpongeBob of a snail is going across a field and the orchestra is having to play for nine hours as a snail and they're just all out of breath <laughs> by the end. And I thought that was such a great touch because you're listening to the dialogue more than the music. 
and there's a lot of talking during the stairs, so it's really easy to miss that. But as I was going through and like listening to the music again for it, I was like, that's so great that they made a arrangement of this track to just show how even the director of the song is tired. <laughs> See, that's why you were tired, Matt. Yes. They were making tired of the song. Um, chapter 14, what was your, uh, what, 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 what cut scene did you get? Who did you catch? Are we talking about uh, when you leave Eric's uh, house? In the middle okay. Of the I had Tifa, and I am amazed at how few people have gotten her, but I did find out the weird requirements for her. What did you guys get? I got Tifa twice. I, when I first played through, I got Eric, because, you know, Eric is my love. And then when I played through the second time, they get different outfits and stuff. I did get so, Greg, I did what you recommended, and I just looked up the other resolution scenes, since it's not required for a trophy. Um... And honestly, knowing what was going on in Chapter 14 and seeing Aerith's scenes, I almost felt like gut-wrenching. I was like, God, we got to save her. <laughs> we just got to. It added, it added tremendously. Spencer? I feel like with Tifa, almost more so than everyone else, I think the Barrett one is almost kind of in there. Not like as a joke, but almost like a little bit more of like a little bit lighthearted if you just really don't care. Because like you... If anyone wants to look at the requirements, to get Barrett's cutscene in the middle of the night, you just have to ignore everyone, be pro-Avalanche, and do no side quests. It's very funny. Like, the requirements are just so crazy for it. The Aerith talk, I enjoyed in more of a sentimental way, but I think the Tifa one just stands out for me of, like, that moment. Like, the shot where it just shows her crying in his arms, you can just see the hesitation of he wants to hold her and grab her tightly. And, like, that just goes miles to show, like, how much he has opened up with her. Not even in, like, whether it be a romantic angle or even just, like, as childhood friends, because Cloud has so much, like, anguish and pain and stuff in him that, like, everyone can see it, that even she knows that that step of him holding her is so big for him and means so much. Oh, yeah, and I think what I love most about it is this is a great callback to the game, um, because a lot of the choices that you make that this is based off of, so to get Barrett, you have to ignore the flower girl, um, don't, don't get the flower from her, stuff like that. Like it, it, it did a lot of the same choices as original, and they had the same kind of outcome in the original when you went to the Golden South. Did you date Aerith, did you date Tifa, or did you date So I think that that is what I really enjoyed about this, and it's that little Easter egg that's inside the game that was a great callback to the game. Um, another Easter egg that was in there, that was the callback, was at the beginning of Chapter 8, when you land in Eris' flower bed. Did you pick up on that, Spencer? Uh, which one? Uh, when he's, it's a white background, he's telling him out and how in the, in the past he used to get walkaways, you know, bumps and bruises and scratches. It's a lot different nowadays. Moves, moves, moves. Can you pick up on that? I, I, you know, I'm assuming, are you going to talk about like how it's related to Zach and stuff? So, no, in the original game, when, um, when you're, after Cloud falls into the live stream and wakes up on the island and suddenly into the atmosphere of the planet, Yes, okay, yeah, all the dialogue is from that one. That okay. is an almost direct dialogue, if not exactly direct, from that up until the time when Sephiroth should have been. Um, that's, and, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about that, but it's been so long since I... Because that's a very later, later, later part of Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah. So I, there were a lot of hints 
towards other parts of the game as well. I mean, when you do, uh, when you go into Shimmer Building and they kind of do that floor drop zone underneath you, that was very much so Cosmo Canyon learning about the, going to the, uh, what was that, the Astronomy Tower or whatever he had. Um, you do, you see a lot of that as, as well. You saw it kind of Astronomy Tower with your weapon building and how you customize your weapon. kind of what you're fighting a lot of Cosmo Tower there, Cosmo Canyon. Um, but you see a lot of this callback to the game. And, and this is one of the things that I want to talk about working with servers, how that's going to relate to future games. Um, I think, I don't think there was anything else that was really choice-specific sort of addressing. you guys have anything else before we trade on? Shout out to how good all of the dresses look. To like, you know, like obviously, if you are a main character in this game, the quality of life touches in terms of presentation is just zero to none. Like, you all look amazing. But I appreciated how much work all three of the dresses for all three of the party members were. And I don't know about you guys, but when you are walking around as Cloud dressed up, please just talk to everyone in Walmart. Everyone's dialogue is fantastic. It's hilarious to get catcalled. A personal favorite of mine was basically just making uh, Chadley, I guess, just get his first crush with his first crush with cloud cross dressing. To Chadley, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a, I'm having an emotional response to this right now. I, I don't think I can talk to you. <laughs> I, I, um, well, I was just gonna say, there's two things for me. Uh, one shout out Johnny and his crackhead energy. Um, oh my god, did you guys like Johnny? Because I loved Johnny. I he he was endearing in the way of uh, he's entertaining because of all that energy that he has, but he can't be around for too long. He's got to go at some point. He's your best friend's friend. You don't like. I think it's because I'm secretly Johnny, but no one's told me. <laughs> um, the second thing though is uh, something super minor. Uh, more of a mechanism that they put in the game. I don't know if other games do this, but I love that if you're just on like the menu screen, how the in-game in clock stops after three minutes. So shout out that. Which is really nice for all those people out there who are total like clock pers- like perfectionists. So, like I know so many of my friends who, if they leave their system on and it still counts that they're not playing, they will go back to an earlier save because they hate having the time long. I did not catch that, but I am glad to know that because that is a, has a much more accurate in my mind thought than I was playing. So there were I spent hours at times and I wasn't at my game that was on. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a bloated time frame, but now I know. I don't know if, and I don't know if it the same's true if you're not if you're just like standing there in game. But if you're in at least the base start venue, um, it'll cut off at three minutes. Or it'll stop at three minutes, and it'll resume if you go uh, like exit out and you go back in. It'll keep going. So I have to let you guys all know. I don't know about you. I'm very confident in saying at least an hour or maybe two of my time is just idling in the game, listening to jukebox songs. Oh, hip hop to chocobo. So great! I, I have never been more passionate in my life about getting every collectible in the game. There could, there, I could have lost. I could have gotten a bad ending in the game, and still would have gone out of my way to get all the songs because they were so great. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm right with you. What's your favorite songs? So this is weird, it could, especially because it's the first one you get. 
I listened, I made every jukebox in the game play Prelude. That arrangement of Prelude is so good. Like, I, I love a lot of them, like the dance remix for when you get a perfect and the practice dance, I think is really, really great. The hard rock version of Fight On is amazing. Scarlet's theme, which is a new song, like any theme that has actual vocals, I'm amazed at how varied and different they all sound. Like, the amount of budget that went into those 30 plus songs as just collectibles are probably some small game's entire version. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hip hop to Chocobo, live or die by it. Oh, but shout out, shout out to that guy for literally just being like, "Hey, here's my SoundCloud, here's my tape. Let me know what you think." <laughs> you know, getting my word out there. Yeah. Hip hop to Chocobo is fire, and I don't know the name of the song, and I was trying to think of where it was at last time. But when you're in chapter eight, and the first time you meet the the thugs, um, as you're going through that tunnel, you fight the three idiots. The way that song, that, that new song that, that starts up right then when it's like an EDM kind of hip-hop sound, I love that pop that so, I don't know what it is. I can't tell you the name. Um, I wish I could, because it doesn't tell you what the sound themes are, the sound of the game itself. The game. But that is by far, I could just sit there around. I, I know what you're talking about. The actual title is, but that is just a rearrangement of the collapsed tunnel. But it's uh, I don't know, I don't know if this will help you or hit me for it. The guy who arranged that is the guy who did the Final Fantasy Thirteen soundtrack. And that's spe- that specific one for it. uh, because some people either really like Thirteen soundtrack or really don't like it. I, I think Thirteen is like one of its best factors. Look, as its music is really great. Look, Doctor Dre had two great albums. He dropped two albums in between and that crash, and then he dropped another couple albums after. We all have our mistakes. <laughs> Oh, well, thirteen is definitely not not one of those for him. Matt, Matt, do you have any songs that like stood out for you that was like, man, like these were just total slaps? Um, I outside of like the hip hop to Chocobo, like some of the arrangements. So I did love the the music selections for the dance sequence with Andrea. Um, other than that, I I don't really nothing stood out to me. But that's not saying a lot because everything was just good. It was really good and it fit the mood. I have a question for you as someone who hasn't, uh, I'm assuming you haven't listened to much of the original soundtrack for Final Fantasy VII, right? Correct. Okay, so did you ever notice, because one of the interesting things about the Steam soundtrack is it actually doesn't use that many songs. Like, there are tons of arrangements and tons of variations, but they reuse songs a ton for it and I never felt like it like dragged or like felt like they were like rinse and repeating for it like so did they did you ever kind of have that feeling of like oh okay I've, I've heard this before even though it's a little different or did they uh, always sort of sound different no it and I'm not and I don't know if I'm necessarily the right person to ask because in terms of stuff like that if I just look for does this fit the theme of what's going on with the game while I'm experiencing it and everything just like hit all the right check boxes. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, I mean, it sounds similar to something I heard before, but that's the extent of that. I listened to it. Everything just sounded really good and it fit the theme. Uh, so it's an A plus in my book. So Greg, your pick was actually my original pick for like my favorite song that, that battle track when you're finding the bandits and the collapsed dungeon is just really, really great. Like the beat just really gets you in the mood for fighting it definitely got stolen away, even even more so than One Winged Angel, which does have a really great arrangement for this. 
when you are fighting the last phase of the the Genova like ghost or or not, and the Genova theme starts playing for the final phase of that boss fight, I have never vocally been more excited to hear a song in my life. Like I was actively like singing along to the song that has no lyrics. Oh, I got hyped. I got it, hyped. It, that that kind of intro. Or yeah, because like the, the Genova theme is just so haunting. I'm just yeah, because like it's just like those few little beats, but it just so perfectly uh, summarizes like that kind of interstellar like mysterious nature that is like Genova. Like when you had that, yeah. how, how it's an eerie creature, but it's also space like Yeah, it's, it's it absolutely nailed it. I'm right there with you. Yeah, that got me right. Um, and, and, and it just goes to show, by the way, if anyone is listening to this who is curious like it, if you enjoy the arrangements and have not heard the original even though i've never been the biggest fan of final fantasy 7 the original game the soundtrack on its own is still worth like checking out like all of uimatsu's like 10 and before stuff are all just total winners whether you like the game they're from or not like i can't think of like a single one of his soundtracks for final fantasy that are just like they're meh they're okay uh what was your favorite theme in the game Mm. That's a tough one. I think. Mm, I'm oh. to think. If someone has an answer, please go oh, for it. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, the dance sequence. That for me was by far my favorite scene of the entire game. Uh, I made sure to record it so I could show my wife back. It was like one in the morning when I was gonna play through it, so I could show my wife when she woke up the next day. Uh, but I I love that. I love that character. Um, I love that sequence. I love the way they did the dancing. Um, I was actually Florida as you went from practice dancing, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, I got. I'm total bro. I got a sword. Look at me dance. I'm gonna swing this thing around." And he gets up on there, and he's just like, "Yep, no sword. I'm just dancing." And he, he's just cutting it up. I guess you say. Gotta own it. Yeah, and he, he's just. It, it's. It was absolutely awesome to see that. Um. I'm trying to think because in the towards the end game, probably in like the last uh, last quarter of a game, there's there's a lot of really compelling scenes that happen there, more so emotionally than graphically. Um, and there was one in particular that I just had to sit there. Obviously, it's like three in the morning or whatever while I'm playing this, but something happened. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened." Um, it might have been the motorcycle, maybe. But first time or second time? The party Um the I guess it would have been the second time. So when they're leaving the Shinra building, yeah, without Jesse. But really interesting you bring that's really interesting that you bring up the, the motorcycle one. Cause I love that because if anyone has seen Advent Children, that highway motorcycle chase, I remember I've never wanted to play a movie more than that highway highway motorcycle fight. <laughs> like watching that was for the first time was so crazy. I think honestly for me, I may have to go with, um, there are so many. And it may change like every time I think about it. But I think genuinely when I'm thinking about it, I have to pick the ending. And it's really weird because I'm trying to think of what stood out to me the most. And 
I haven't beat a game in a very long time that made me really think about the implications of not only like the future for it, but everything I had just done before. And by the time that ending cutscene rolled, and that shot of Zack still alive, dragging Cloud towards Midgar as Aerith and Cloud are walking into the future away from the city, got me so many like mixed emotions of just like high positivity and just like good vibes with all the music as it, as it rolls into the credits song. I I think that one probably is going to have to be my standout. Okay, so let's get into it, Spencer, since you want to bring that up. Big in the game. So the second to last boss fight is the Whispers or Destiny, as it were, as we're told. Capital D Destiny. <laughs> A big D Destiny. Um, there are some just like throwaway lines that are way too funny. Like I know they did not mean to be, and some of them probably are just due to like stupid translation errors or not even errors, just like delivery by actors. But man, there are just some stupid throwaway things that make me laugh like too much. Like them bonding over all having their parents dead. Just that thumbs up, I thought was so funny. <laughs> but um, so yeah, too, right, as we went into that, they started talking about. Um, you know, you go into that fight, it's Destiny with a big D, Destiny, blah, 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 just whatever the case may be. And then as you're fighting that fight, you're essentially fighting the main three characters that we know, that last lived through the original that. So you're fighting, like, a Destiny, a futuristic Destiny, or whatever you want to call it, version of Tifa, Cloud, and Barry. Range, one, one's the range, one sword, one's fighting um, so it's kind of like a thrill your main three characters that you, you have throughout the game. But you're also seeing flashes of the original game in new high-def HD. No, no. It just straight up shows, like, those flashbacks when you're defeating the Harbingers, like little mini versions of yourself in the future, those are just straight up rips from the Blu-ray of Advent Children. I, like, even pulled it up for comparison. Oh. Like, you see them so fast that, like, it doesn't look like it's out of place, but it, it's scene for scene, like, the exact same models and everything. So, so we, we're seeing this. Um, what, what is, with that being said, what is your thought, what is your take on the Whispers itself? Can I start and this one? Since you don't, since, since, you, since you are probably, like, I'd be curious with you, when you first saw them, did they, like, stick out for you? Because, like, for Greg and I, who played the original, since they are totally new, they were going to stick out no matter what. But, like, did they feel normal to the story when you were running into them? Um, Honestly, yeah. I thought they were just part of the original game. Uh, I had actually, I think Greg was just checking in, so I had got, picked it up, and I, Thursday evening or whatever, popped it in. And he's like, okay, where, where are you at right now? And I was like, oh, yeah, the Dementor showed up. <laughs> and just thinking, like, that was a normal part of it. Um, so they never really seemed out of place to me. Um, it was just, a, again, with the whole Sephiroth thing, it's just like 98% of the game, at least for the, for the Whispers, 60% of the game. I was just straight up confused because I thought everyone else knew what this was except me. Um, but it made sense, and it was worth it. And see, I thought I knew what they were, too. Um, because when they showed, you know, one of the trailers for the game released, they showed this mass cloud of the Whispers holding around the Shimmer building. And it distinctly looked like, in the original game, 
when they went to the reunion and you had the mass amount of clones or the folks or whatever swirling around Sephiroth. So it looked really familiar. And that's what I thought they were for me. I thought they were all the clones. The, the I actually clones. thought the, the Sephiroth clones were new. It had been so long because they are primarily, like there's one in the uh, slums in the original, but the one who's your neighbor, I think his name is Marco, is he is totally new to the story, and there's a few in Nibelheim and stuff, and they're they're more of like kind of a they're they're all over the place creepy man. part of the lore. Yeah, well, like the, the, they they just definitely stood out a lot more because like if you look at their model in the original game, they are just like a little tiny black mountain that's supposed to represent a cloak. Uh, it was very hard to like kind of make those look a lot more menacing and stuff. Whereas like seeing them. And this, it just, like, hit me a whole lot more with it. And, like, the whispers, honestly, until I beat the game, I was just like, so this just has to be, like, supernatural Genova stuff. And finding out that the, the moment when it clicked for me, because they it, right before they tell you that, when Aerith tells you that these are the dead people in the live stream and stuff suffering and in pain, that moment, especially because I had headphones on, it was, like, four in the morning, of all of their screams collectively playing at once, it was like truly horrifying. Oh yeah. So with that being said, um, I've I've read out there that there's theories that they are trying to preserve the original story of the game. So it's almost like they're the, the way I think about it when they when I hear this is they're like the diehard fans who don't want you to change anything. Mm-hmm. But they did change. Yes, and it's so interesting to think of the implications because not only yeah, not only are the whispers trying to protect and make sure that the capital D destiny happens the way it's supposed to. They want everyone to escape Midgar. They want the crew to run into Sephiroth at um, all the predetermined points. They don't want them to run into Sephiroth and Midgar. They will bring people like Barrett back to life. Like for me that moment of Barrett getting stabbed by Sephiroth hit me so hard and oh, I was yeah. so and I was so upset at first because I thought it was like a Rise of Skywalker moment again with Chewbacca. He immediately gets brought back to fight over and I'm like, oh, this is stupid. Like why why just bring him back to have that moment? And then you're finding out, no, it's not they're bringing him back just to bring him back. It's to go to show that if these whispers like with these whispers in your way everything from the original has to stay the same. You cannot deviate off course. If that's not true, though, because the Whispers saved uh, uh, Wedge, which never happened before. Well, like I said, we still don't know if Wedge 100% got no. saved, and and another point about it is they will save and they will bring people back. Their point isn't to keep everything the same, mm-hmm. I should say. Their point is to make sure that the ending of they're all in the crater and I'm totally afraid of what it's called, but basically to make sure that the end boss fight of Final Fantasy VII, the PlayStation 1 game, they make sure that end game happens. In this game specifically? or in, in the game? Yes, in, in, in this one. And obviously, like it has a lot of other things for it, but I, I think I can understand how people are upset about it. I don't know how you guys feel about, especially with the ending of The implication of it I definitely got was now that the Arbiter is defeated, and especially with showing Zack still alive in the final cutscene, it means that the future and all the follow-ups to this, and even the game, even like its its final words as everyone's walking off, is the unknown Jeremy. 
of it of anything can happen now. And that possibility makes me so excited. And on one hand, I can see why people would be upset that it's not just going to be a, tr a true remake one for one. At the same time, because the original creators are so heavily involved, like the original writer of this, Katase, is still writing for this. He doesn't work for Square Enix, but they still made him come back. And the fact that a lot of the original people are working on this game and that this is their vision for what they want a new version of Final Fantasy VII to be for this generation, I'm like, all in. I'm like, mm. let's go. Make it as new as you want. So what I, I was going to say, let's, let's go off of what you just said for a second, Spencer, talking about how um, the Whispers more or less want uh, capital D, big D, Destiny to happen. So they're more or less preserving these finite points in the timeline but they're laxing like how they get there more or less um, with everything being laid out and seemingly them defeating them future selves, blowing the whole future wide open, essentially. Um, does that more or less mean that throughout this story cloud is seeing across like this separate timeline, which would be original final fantasy seven. And that's what I was thinking like those those visions that came from Advent children that looked like they were just HD versions of the original game. It's it's almost like they were showing them um, what could happen if they don't if, if they follow the course that they're that it's set in place. Because as Spencer and I know, and I think that's what we have met, Zach is dead. Mm -hmm. In the original game, Zach is dead. Um, to see he dies on that mountain protecting Cloud outside Midgar as they're trying to get back from Shinra as they're being attacked in the um, So, canonically before this, Zack is the dead. We now see them alive, and we don't know what that implication will have on future stories. Um, we, they all saw Eric die, or comes to see of that, which is huge spoiler to the game, but if you don't know about that huge moment from 20 years ago, that's where it was also a new But, like, it's, those are huge implications, but the, again, with Whispers, they, it almost seems like they're trying to, to they knew Sephiroth was going to do what he did, and they had to get them to that moment to fight Sephiroth, knowing that they were going to have um, that's why they saved Witch. Uh, they, they had no choice. They had to save Witch. That's why uh, Biggs is alive. They saved Biggs because in the original, those three characters are dead. There was no afterlife once that could have So they are changing the story a little bit. You did see them maintain the story with, you know, injuring Jesse so she couldn't go on the second bombing mission to force Cloud and Tifa to go. Um, and you did see them, you know, save Barrett to ensure that he's alive to continue that story. But I, I think, I, I think that they're dead, right? Am I wrong? Destiny, we destroyed Destiny with the armor. Yeah, that's what I thought when it shows after everything has happened and they're back in the real world in all of what used to be the whispers and now these like almost like flower petals of light coming onto the earth. And that's so interesting to be like, man, if they really commit to no longer having to be held to the whims of destiny and can really go on their own path, 
it's so interesting to see how much more interesting they could make the story because while a lot of people i'm guessing because honestly i i've been total like social media blackout of like i didn't want to hear people's opinions before i beat it i didn't watch any of the trailers from like the last couple of months and i've just not been taking in any reviews or any inside inside like people whether they loved it or hated it so like for me what's one of the crazy things of what makes me so excited about it is final fantasy 7 one of the reasons it's not like my favorite game of all time and I don't know how much you would attest to this, Greg. Final Fantasy VII, I think, has a great beginning, a pretty filler-filled middle, and a great ending. And if they, like, can kind of tone up those last two parts and even give us a more, like, kind of hopefully better ending, I'm all for that because while there are some good moments that happen on the way to the ending, once you leave Midgard, it's definitely a lot more... Uh, everyone else's stereotypical JRPG story, especially from the PlayStation 1 era. Oh, 100%. It's you're a ragtag brain of people trying to take the world from infinity to the world back then. Um, but I mean, with that, how, another question I have regarding this is how much does Sephiroth know about this? Because remember, when you're in that media room in Shinra, uh, when they're explaining the ancients to you and you see that long, that long, Video of the ancients, which again, we never got involved piecemeal in the game. Um, Sephiroth kind of appears and shows you the media and all that footage. Again, Spencer, I don't know if it came from Advent Children, I've watched it years, but it's, it looks very, very much so like the original game with the media for the hit Midgard. Oh, so that, that, no, the only time they show footage from Advent Children yeah, is okay. when you are fighting the Arbiter. Yeah, all those other scenes are all totally, totally new. Gotcha. But yeah, it, I mean, it, what is Sephiroth know about this? Mm. What does he already know to expect? What is, is that what the Seven Sacrifices is that he's talking about from the game? Because he knows what's going to happen. He is now trying to recreate Destiny. Um, if we know about what's already happened, does Eric still die? I say, personally, Sephiroth 100% knows. There's no way he wouldn't like, have that conversation uh, in space with uh, with Cloud otherwise at the end. They both know that they can change destiny. Um, that is why there's that moment where Aerith is describing how Sephiroth is not like a person. He's not a villain. He is not an entity. He is a force. He is a part of what is the worst of Genova trying to infect the planet because he's already in the life stream, alive or dead. And the, and the interesting thing about that is not only that he knows, but the way that he makes his uh, presence known and how that works. Like, technically, you only see Sephiroth, uh, at least that we know in Final Fantasy VII Remake, at the end, in the highway. That shot of him is the first time you see him. And what makes that, and that is why you see all the whispers go crazy when he shows up. Like, they're already kind of going crazy at the Shinra Tower when you're leaving because of, the, of everything that had already transpired. But the way that he was going around in the story, the whole point of it was he is taking over in the live stream the failed clones, similar to what he does with the, the 
other manifestations from Advent Children, the other three, lack of a better saying, uh, Sephiroth clones, where he can basically become them. Similar to like if you've seen something like Twin Peaks or whatever, like his his being is so powerful that he can inhabit someone's body and just wholeheartedly appear to the other the rest of the world like it. <laughs> and I, I think it's really interesting to kind of go into that because how they are going to handle Genova and how they're going to handle Sephiroth still because he is still frozen. He is still in that iceberg. Like all of the, all the way those moments have happened. I don't know like how that's going to really like be addressed with it. Otherwise of like what he's doing to make these all happen. And I hope, and I trust after this game that they can really sell it on there. I think once that initial sticker shock of people realizing this game that is called final fantasy seven remake, once they realize that it is going to be such a totally different journey, I think a lot more people are going to be on for it, but it, it just goes to show like what you said at the beginning of the show, Greg. This is such a special title. There is not another title that kind of can get remade and have this much hype, excitement, fear, and other things like that. Whether it be people who are new to the series like Matt or people like us who've been playing for many, many years. And it wasn't just going to be like the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake where they make some deviations and go on to it and sort of do their own thing like that where we haven't really seen something this polarizing since, at least for the masses that they would probably know, like stuff like Metal Gear Solid 2. Like there are other examples I could pull from like the ending of Danganronpa V3, but like five people out there listening may have played that game. So <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 2 is a little bit more timely in comparison. Um, and Spencer, real quick, because you mentioned uh, or just talked about how when people realize that this thing that they're building now as they're planning to expand into more parts or whatever they're planning to do with it, people will realize that this 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 isn't your dad's uh, favorite RPG anymore, uh, for lack of a better phrase to use. Uh, I think there are people out there that realize it, but either don't appreciate it or really just want it to be a remaster. What, what are your thoughts on it? Are you more appreciative that they're taking these liberties or would you have rather they stuck to their guns of remastering? I appreciate the boldness of it. And I think they always had that. They've always talked about remaking Final Fantasy seven, even as early as the like year 2000, they were planning on remaking it for the PlayStation two and it never really worked out. One of their reasons is they know how special that game is. It's not just because it's the best-selling Final Fantasy game of all time, but they've gone out of their way to make those classic titles, and especially Final Fantasy VII, a lot more playable these days. Like It's on Switch, it's on Xbox, it's on PC, it's on phones. There are ways to play that original if you are really nostalgic and don't want to check out what's new. You just want to see what's there. And they've talked about it before. It's like, if you just did, like, what we played through, of in terms of graphics if we trimmed out everything new and it just made it like a six to nine hour experience and cut out all the rest of it still going and remaking the rest of that game into like a 30 to 50 hour rpg that has open world elements that has chocobo racing that has the golden saucer to this visual like standard it's it would be like making the shinmu of 2020 it would be so astronomically expensive like realistically it just couldn't get made and financially probably would never get funded even though it is Final Fantasy 7 mm-hmm. yeah I mean I as I kind of said at the top of the show though Matt it, it, I love that I'm going to spend my favorite game 
knowing the story of Final Fantasy, had they just made a true one-for-one copy of the game itself and released it, I, I don't, I don't think that would have gone. It would have, it definitely would have grabbed headlines, not positive. Um, I don't think it would have been received very well in the community. Diehard fans of Final Fantasy, sure, but it looks pretty. But you haven't done anything to add to it. I mean, Resident Evil Three, Resident Evil Two. I'm not a big Resident Evil fan. But the fact that you can beat Resident Evil 3 if you know the game in just a few hours is a kind of upsetting. Um, different topic, different day, though. Um, but I love this game. I do... you guys have any other questions? Anything you want to add to it before the game? I have one character I want to talk about. I have, a, I, I have a weird little thing I want to take everyone in terms of a time capsule. Before this game came out, what was your guys' biggest fear? Because my biggest fear with this whole game was, like Greg kind of mentioned... I'm going to play through a version of Final Fantasy VII, and it's going to be a prettier version of that game that I don't love. And the fact that when I rolled credits after all of my uh, expectations had been blown totally out of the water on almost all fronts, I was like, wow, like this was everything I, I didn't know I wanted in a version of Final Fantasy VII, and I was really, really glad that I was thankfully on the opposite end of like, I got everything I didn't know, and I was like, all the things I was worried about just basically flew out the window once I started playing that for mm. the first couple hours. Um, so, at least, obviously because I was new to this, there wasn't really... I had the benefit of not having any baggage going into this. Um, but I guess the only thing that I was really worried about was... Because, I mean, last year we got Kingdom Hearts 3. And after completing it and giving it, like, a few months to sit on or several months to sit on, I feel kind of burned by the game. Not necessarily that it was a bad game, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. And so coming into this and having this game, I was like, okay, cool. I know it's Square Enix. I know it's a different game, different battle system, how they do it. Um, But I really just want to have a good game to enjoy. And I cannot think of a game I've had more fun playing than Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's really funny, Matt, you mentioned Kingdom Hearts 3. I actually am in the camp of I really loved Kingdom Hearts 3, but it's definitely very, a lot more, it's actually a lot more, uh, I'd say it has a lot more negative opinions from diehard fans than I probably would have guessed, but I always see why. When I look at the two in comparison, though, Kingdom Hearts 3 for me is if they did Final Fantasy 7 and didn't do anything new and just kept it very safe. I think that is how people would walk away from Remake. Mm-hmm. It would walk away the same as with uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. You either like it for what it did or hold hold against it all the stuff it should have done. Right. Yeah, I think uh, my biggest reason with all the knowledge I knew on Final Fantasy itself was how is this going to end? How does that make for them to end with the anime? Because, you know, all the marketing you've seen and even the theme you get for free if you play the anime. I was so worried that was the last shot of the game. I'm like, you guys have been showing this shot for like nine months. It's like, how is this not going to be the end of the game? That's 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 where the game ends, you know, from what we've been told and what the media looks like. It doesn't canonically, it doesn't make sense. The cliffhanger is far too drastic to leave off and have nothing to explain. But playing through it the way they spread that story out, they explained everything. Where the place they ended the game, like it, it just it smoothed out everything and worked so perfectly. Um, but two characters I want to talk about that I forgot to talk about 
Uh, one of them I loved, one of them I didn't understand. I loved Red 13. Mm-hmm. Well, like, shout out to Max Middleton, the voice actor for him, just kills it. And as someone who just spent the last 200 hours of my life of the last month playing Persona 5, he's Ryuji, the like loud blonde kid in it. Uh, could not be different acting portrayals of uh, characters, and I was really, really impressed at how he just totally nails Red 13's dry humor, and at the same time, just very like kind of somber. Like you can like kind of like how with like Rocket Raccoon, you like just even like through like his joking and kidding like comments, the way he like moves through that world, you can tell like, he is not happy in his own body. Yeah, it is current situation. I wanted to say something on the body. Wait, I have a question for you guys. Um, I saw earlier this week um, that there was a guy who's pretty, he's done a lot of uh, notable voice acting for anime characters that passed away earlier. Did he also do the voice acting for Reno? Uh, no, that's the Japanese, for, the Japanese well, voice of Reno. Yeah, the Japanese uh, passed away this week. The English voice is, well, used to be Clinton Flynn. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to confirm. I saw some Japanese, stuff about The Japanese it. voice of Reno has passed. Yeah. Who I think actually is in remake. Because the Japanese voice cast, they were like, nope, we are keeping it the same cast has been for like 30 years, because why not? Uh, you know what, Greg? Just, just because I think this would be very fun, and I know Matt definitely would not know, you should tell Matt why... Uh, Red 13 was originally in Hojo's experiments with Aerith. Why well, did he tell me? Well, he doesn't... It, in the original game, it's definitely... It's alluded to, but in the original game, it definitely does just sort of tell you what, what is supposed to happen with the two of them. Did you pick up on that, Matt? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, so, he is an ancient of the Earth. Uh, well... Not a human being, obviously, and he was going to have the two of them procreated so that he could then uh, have a perfect ancient to then lead him to the continent. So, at first, whenever he did that, because I'm assuming in the meeting with all the directors of Shinra and stuff like that, or the executives, um, I thought someone had brought, alluded to, or it alludes to that someone brought up that Sephiroth had infiltrated the building. And mm-hmm. and then that immediately, like, Hojo's going off to his lab and he's talking about that. And so I thought he was referring to Sephiroth. And I was like, is this where, like, this conflict is going? Is that what why what happens happens? But then Red 13 showed up and I was like, yeah, ah-ha-ha. Ha. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad you remember my favorite line of quirks, too. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Red 13 is probably one of my favorite add-ons. I, I love the way the add-on is combat to the game itself and kind of bounces back and forth and you only have two characters. Can't control him, but he is helping out quite a bit. Um, one character I didn't understand who they actually kind of this media blitz out there. They, they had marketing for him. They had all kinds of stuff everywhere for this guy. Um, Roach. Roach is an interesting one. Of Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people kind of be like, oh, he's just, like, he's just sort of there to be there. He's very like one note i loved him because like for me he felt like someone from platinum games decided to like put a protagonist in final fantasy 7 and i enjoyed that because like 
Shinra is a weird company, and you definitely get that when you see the turrets, but you're only seeing three out of what used to be like almost 10 different turrets. Like the people, the board directors, like, yes, the normal employees of Shinra and the soldiers are basically normal people, but I like that it made up new characters and showed, like, hey, if you're a higher up person at Shinra and have some sort of power, you're probably a big nut job, and I just loved everything about him. I feel like it just would have felt really forced if they threw him in there again. Like, I'd say if Reno and Rude were not in the game, like, I guess three times, people would be saying the same thing about them. Yeah, they would. Um, yeah, I mean, but to just, to, I guess my issue is the heel Rude is coming back until we fight see again or whatever it is to say the end of chapter um, yeah. And that fight, which, by the way, that fight on hard mode—that's that's something. That's something. Um, but it, you don't ever see him again. You don't hear of him. He doesn't pop up. I was waiting for him to pop up when I was doing that motor, the second motorcycle scene. Um, oh my god, dude! If he popped up in chapter eighteen, that would have been too much. Like I was just waiting for pop up at all, but he's not gone. So do we see him again? Does I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold claim that I'm going to will into existence. In, in a show of this game being so drastically different, he will be an optional party member in the sequel. Wait. I'm more inclined to say that we'll see So you guys are talking about, uh, what's his name from the first motorcycle game? Roche. Yeah, Roche. Yeah. Roche? Roche? I thought he said his name was Rose or whatever, or whatever it was. Roche. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just like Mako. It's hard to want to pronounce it. <laughs> the Mario Brothers. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm more inclined to see, like I said, Zach Chope as an optional character um, or have a huge impact on the party than Roche is. But I would not be surprised if we saw Roche in you know, Juden, uh, we saw Roche in the behind, we saw Roche outside. You know, I, I, I could see him So, Greg, when you were bringing up a character before you said uh, Roche's name, I was so sure you were going to talk about Keichi. No, no. Oh, sorry. Uh, you probably in the 90s thought it was Kate, Kate Sith, the little the cat you see for like 30 seconds yeah, when Sector 7 falls. I've always called him Kate Sith, yeah. Um, That's okay. His real name is always weird. I I, I don't think Kate is very good about wait. trying to be my best purist attitude. By the way, Matt, if you're wondering if you're wondering who we're talking about, no, I I know exactly who you're talking about. A black cat with a crown. Okay. Well, I know. I just he's don't know about so, him. He's in there so little. I wouldn't blame anyone for being like. Oh, well, I saw him and I immediately texted Greg and I was like, "What the hell's with that cat?" <laughs> I didn't know that was what you're talking about. But I do like the backstory they Oh, 100%. 100%, yes. Matt, are you going to play the original uh, game? I mean... Good twist. You should, you, should let him, you should let him and the listeners find out on there. Because, like, uh, Cat's Fit doesn't have, like, the most popular, like, notions for it. But I, I think that is a, one of his best, if not only good story moments, is he, he has a nice twist of when you find out why there is a cat. <laughs> Oh, because the, the rest of the story moments are trash. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they're all very, very bad. But with the future of this game, he might actually have an interesting story. <laughs> yep. And there's one character that we've not seen in this game that has been in every single Final Fantasy game ever released. Spencer? Can't say Cindy? Sid? Oh, sorry. I was thinking about the one with the uh, very big personality from 15. Yeah, Sid, Sid's also not in this game. It's not in this game whatsoever, which which is a, if I'm not mistaken, it's a first. No, not a first. Well, first in a long time. First, Sid didn't start. Sid one. didn't start showing up until four. Yeah, I mean, first since that one, but he's been in every game since four. So mainline, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's some weird cases of no, but yeah, he he always like varies, and he's either super important or super not important. Uh. Out of all the characters who did show up that you know are supposed to, is that like the biggest one that stood out for you? My biggest one is like, man, how how crazy this world is. I'm very excited to see Vincent. Vincent, I'm really excited to see how they implement. I, I can't wait to see Vincent. Um, I felt like the what's his name, Katie Caddy, the in Chapter 14 that was oh Kyrie. Oh, oh the 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 thief's daughter. Yeah, Kyrie. Who I thought felt reminded me like so much of Lucy. Kyrie is a weird. Kyrie is like the example of Roach's complaints, like emphasized for me, of like she's barely there. They set up her for being kind of interesting. Of like she's a con artist who is trying to be a mouthpiece of fake news for Shinra, but they only have her in like two scenes. So like she's one of those weird ones of like out of the new characters, like it's because there are specifically three uh, new new characters like Roche, Marilyn, Kyrie. Like, I feel like I have more emotional relevance to the old lady who was your landlady for, like, a few chapters than the curious two scenes. Yeah. I, I just, I thought she was beautiful. Like, I, I was like, why the whole time? Oh, oh God, I hope, I hope Yuffie is not even anything like her. Yuffie's that, Yuffie's that, like, very specific, uh, like, angle of, like, okay, she really treads the line if she could be annoying and, like, any moment, but always uh, did it. Actually, what I really want to get your guys' opinion on, because his original appearance in the first uh, game is so moot, I forgot it was a boss fight. Uh, the fight with Rufus on the rooftop, and the original game is over in, like, five turns. His dog dies on, like, one hit if you're pretty evenly leveled, and, like, his guns are just, like, whatever. Like, he doesn't seem like an outstanding force, but the boss fight in this one was so... So much more epic. Like if they had, if they had toned things back, I would have been okay with that being like a final boss fight. That's how good I thought the Rufus fight was. So I didn't, I didn't feel it at all. I felt like once you figure out the mechanics of Rufus fight, it's cake. Really? Like even mine, I never felt like it was a cakewalk with it, just because for me it was a lot of like kind of obviously waiting for him to reload for it. But I liked how. It felt like he was kind of learning in a way where it didn't like seem like a super super cakewalk, but I probably was not like finding the like optimal strategy for it. Matt, what what did you think of Rufus for your first shot? Um, I I think I'm probably more in the same camp as Greg. Uh, once I figured out, okay, let me figure out how to break the link, take wipe the dog out, then we're just running ones, and it, it seemed pretty. Now, I don't want to say simple because I'm still struggling to adjust to the Final Fantasy battling mechanics in Seven, uh, but it seemed pretty straightforward at, at that. 
I'm a big dum-dum and just don't know how to play. I understand. <laughs> well, it, it, don't get me wrong. It took me quite a while. Like, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I died during that fight, but I definitely lose a lot of management myself alive, um, trying to figure out what the event was. And then I realized, okay, if I use an attack like this one, probably going to spread out and throw everything. What was that attack? It was the, the, the uh, macro one. Um, Are you talking about the one where he like has like the three waves yes. go out in front of him? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once I figure out that's what it was, it was a matter of timing. I don't think we can end, I don't think we can end the show without giving a shout out to every main boss in this game, just having the sickest cinema, cinematography. That's what I want to talk about real quick. The villains in this game, the stupid creatures you see in this game, and the stories they get behind. This game makes generic robot bosses cool. Like, I hate generic robot bosses in RPGs. Hell House in the original game is just a random character you saw, but they gave him a story. They explained why he's there. That stupid, long fish that you fight that's made of swords or chainsaw or whatever the hell it is, that they gave a story to the ghosts that they're children and they're being kept there by that big minotaur thing. Like Elgore, yeah. All every every care everything in this game had an example. The the, the, the bandits. Movie. The first time you fight the bandits is even cinematic in terms of like how they're <laughs> moving around. Like even just little dumb things like that. Like I don't think there's really been an RPG or even JRPG you think of where they throw in some of the most absurd characters and they Give you reason as to why it's there. It's a, I, I think actually, I think where we're talking about, like, they really do save the best for last, and not counting the mech you fight in the last bike section. But that mech fight that was originally just supposed to be on the elevator with Aerith, Red 13, and Barrett is a pretty whatever fight in the original. And that fact that, like, the way it ends with him making the firewall and he's de and he has one last final, like, power-up shot after all the uh, stuff is crumbled around you. And, like, it's like, you, the, they just make all these moments that could just be generic, any other kind of fight. So much personality. Everything just looks so great. I never once thought, I was never not impressed when it goes from cutscene to gameplay without anything at all. Oh, so like, flawless. Every time that happened, I was always like, dang, that's smooth. It was so smooth every time. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, they had this one. I love the boss fights. Um, I don't think there was one that I begrudged going into or I got in there and I was like, oh, this is dumb. Um, but ones that stood out to me, really... I really actually enjoyed fighting the failed experiment, especially finding out, like, being able to go through. I think that whole scenario going into it was fun. Um, Are we talking, not the one in Pedro's lab, the one where it's just Tifa and Barrett? Yeah, in the underground uh, research lab. Yeah, that fight, that fight is really tough, too. And then, uh, I really, and not necessarily for the fight itself, but I really love Rude as a character. He's, it's really great, too, because he has a lot more personality in this, much like with a lot of other characters, but just even little touches. Like, Greg, did you like how the moment he has to shoot Tifa, 
uh, he, he waves off it. Because one of the little unspoken things in the game is that Root has a crush on uh, Tifa ever since he first met her in Nibbleheim. Yep. There's little things like that are really great. The, the, the bosses, um, and the way they turn up like that, the last room cycle seemed like that boss has been kind of staying expensive. You just kind of stood there and was looking like he just fought it. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't very cool. But it's going to be like, nah, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to make you fight the same amount of more I was pretty sure that that stagger did not count. Oh my god, yeah. That one was, uh, that, that when I was like, oh, I finally got over 300, I was like, dang. Uh, I will say this though, did you like how they technically split up the elevator boss into two different chapters? Yeah. The elevator boss in the original game, uh, Matt, when you beat him, he goes into a second form where he is actually that little flying mech that you fight at the end of chapter 15, the one that's hunting you down as you're climbing up. Oh. Because that, that fight is already, like, both of those sections are really long. And Chapter 15, if you look at what it is in the original game, is, like, a joke. In terms of, like, you're climbing up Sector 7's ruins as, like, oh, I'm going to go up the parking meter, now I'm at the top. And looking at, like, how much work you have to go through, like, you really feel it. And it's not just because it's more cinematic and stuff, it's just, like, I feel like in any other game that could have been boring or it could have just felt like padding of like having to go through this parking garage and grapple hook your way up these cranes. And it never did because I kept looking down and I kept looking out to the sky and looking at how much more was ahead of me and just being like, oh my God. <laughs> like I felt out of breath by the time I finished chapter 15 just because that one section is just climbing, go, 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 go. And I will say kind of to speak to how you don't have all your items, even though it says you have all your items. Uh, when I went back to the game after beating I was looking for locations to use that Because Oh, does games, it does it let you or no? Nope, it doesn't. Okay, yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought. In most games, though, it's like, oh, cool, you got a new cool shiny item. Go use it again, and, and everybody could use it. Before. Man, you're 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 lucky they let you aim for that. Most most Japanese games, especially role playing games that have platforming sections like this, are either terrible or make you have no control at all over the situation. <laughs> I mean, the only control you have is look at a circle, hit triangle. That's me. I've, I've experienced a lot. That's 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 high for the bar of JRPGs. <laughs> but gentlemen, kind of wrap it all up here. Um, what are your thoughts and expectations on future Final Fantasy VII? So are we going to carry on with the remake title, or are they going to go with kind of like the Final Fantasy XIII remake hell out of it so it doesn't come to the I'm so glad you asked this, Greg. Uh, first first thing I'm going to do when after, after I platinum this is I'm going to go play Crisis Core, because I'm interested about Zack as a character. Do the, you know Crisis Core? I do not, but I will find it. Find two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a copy that I can give you with my exclusive GameStop pre-order bonus, which was a Shinra UMD carrying case. Sure, I will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Crisis Core is definitely worth checking out. Uh, however, you can like play it. Uh, I know through PSP emulators it looks amazing, but I think a game like that... It, it, it depends, especially because now everything's so weird with the situation that like, not a lot of people really have commutes anymore these days. I would say play it however really you want, and it just definitely holds up. Just know if you're going into it even with all the stuff from 7, there's a lot of world lore, and if it goes over your head, great. The stuff that sticks with you, that's really what matters in the end. 
Crisis Core has a lot of lore stuff that like will affect if you played before Crisis, the Japanese-only mobile game, or Dirge of Cerberus. You really don't don't want to learn about that lore. Mm, gotcha. Well, I. I all right. Well, I'm more so interested because the reason I say that um, is because I'm really interested in what they're going to do with Zach. So obviously talking with you guys and knowing a bit of his backstory, is there just going to be like this giant universal explosion and all of a sudden the timelines mesh together? Uh, or is he just going to be laying somewhere in a dumpster? I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to find out how they do that. I will say this, a little thing that sticks out with me. I wish they had committed to not immediately saying his name was Zach in the subtitles. I would have liked the chance of him being a mysterious character. Because you shouldn't know who's Zach at all. And I think that would have been a lot more resonated for new characters. Whereas just calling him Zach, then you see that you're just going to be like, wait, who's Zach? Why, why does he sound familiar? Yeah, but it kind of it leads people like Matt to either contact those who have experience or check the internet to see who's Zach. So for you I, yes, he wasn't a mysterious character in the second song. He knew exactly what he was. When I saw him, I literally, with my hands were off the controllers, I grabbed the couch, and I grabbed the pillow. And I, was, I screamed, oh my god, WTF, and my wife comes running down the stairs with the If that section, by the way, was playable, because they have the scene right before you play the ending of Crisis Core, it's literally word for word, and action for action. If that scene was playable, I actually probably would have screamed. <laughs> but I, I interesting about that is in the original game, Earth talks immediately about how her boyfriend died. You don't hear about how Zach is dead. Yeah, and that is a good point about what Matt was bringing up. At no point in this game have we heard or had anyone even imply that Zach is dead. We have just not seen him. You do hear you look a little like him. You know, like, you kind of hear that insinuation um, that Cloud and Zach have a lot of similarities, but you never hear I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's a different timeline more than it's just it's just a different interpretation. I, I feel like especially as people have played so many different Final Fantasies, I, I feel like timeline kind of expects them to cross over. And with this one, I definitely wouldn't expect to be like, oh, we're going to have Advent Children Cloud pop up in the last fight to like help, help do an Omni Slash or something. I, I think this one's definitely more just like it's aware that there are other versions of it, but that it is trying to like surprise you because you know what you think is coming. I guess. No, I'm not saying it's a multiverse. I'm just saying it's a different. Is it a link scenario for Zelda? Where it's just doomed to repeat itself? Is it a completely different. No, if that was the case, the whispers wouldn't have uh, dissipated in the end. I'd say if that if that was the case, if the whispers show themselves to be defeatable, then that probably dissuades that theory. Matt, um, I I guess just following along, if I'm following what Spencer's saying, so you're thinking it's more of like a a, a reality thing more so than a timeline. Like this is an alternate re reality. Are, are you saying it's more so like it's aware of itself, not quite a multiverse, but it's an alternate reality of the way things have played yeah, out? It, it's, I definitely feel it's more of a alternate what if kind of thing as opposed to a it's going to happen no matter what sort of thing. So Spencer, are you done that with what your expectations are? Um, 
for the most part, I, I am, like I said, most thing I'm excited for is Zach. And then, Spencer, you had said something interesting about, or I, I don't know, Greg, probably you, you, we didn't really hear about Zach being dead or anything and playing in with uh, Cloud Psychosis. I thought it was interesting that I went back and watched the scene at the end of chapter eight when they're sitting on top of that thing in the park. And it's like, as Aerith goes to say his name, it's like it triggers whether it's like a uh, whisper-infused like vision of an alternate reality or whatever. Um, and I think that's probably where it started, this intrigue with this Zack character. But I'm pumped for it. Nice. So for me, obviously, as I kind of mentioned, love the game, like beginning to end. And, and it definitely stood out for me as someone who had just finished playing Persona 5 for, like, the first time, going from a very traditional RPG series, even though it's one, like, I cover a lot on, like, my own podcast, to, like, going to something like this into a series where I think I know what I'm expecting and just having my my expectations totally blown and then thinking about the future getting me so excited. My biggest hope is that, and this is a weird one, that this game has just been like super polished for a while and they've just been trying to narrow everything out and that we are going to be surprised at how quickly we get chapter two. I would even be fine if chapter two is not like, as long as this, maybe make it like a 20 hour thing. Like as soon, like my biggest thing is I just want to know the timetables as soon as possible. And unfortunately it's probably not happening anytime soon, but I have not found myself this excited for the future of Final Fantasy in many years. Because even with Final Fantasy fifteen, that whole future got so messy and so different with all of its DLC, like season two for fifteen getting canceled and stuff like that. So it's really nice to have something to really look forward to with the series for me in a way that I honestly haven't felt since twenty sixteen. And the fact that it hit me like a ton of bricks like, with 15, I was immediately in fanboy mode since, like, the moment it was announced. And to have 17 just hit me like that out of almost really nowhere was just so nice. And I, I trust the team who's working on this to keep keep that pace up, especially with how positive all the reception has been for this. Whether you loved or hated the ending, I think at the end of the day, people are really going to walk away with this being like, hey, this is, re- this is a special game. Like, this is honestly, like, I don't know how you guys feel. Out of all the games that have come out this year, this one is leagues above everything else that is played this year. Oh, I'm going to agree with I mean, I, I said before I have tattoos of Final Fantasy. Um, I am now more dedicated to finish my quarter sleeve on my right arm. Uh, I plan on getting Avalanche tattooed on there, the Shinra logo, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, but I, I cannot wait see where this unknown story takes us. Um, you and I, Spencer, we know what this is. Matt, I highly encourage you to go, as I, we said before, go play the OG7, even if you play the Switch or PS4, just do power mode, just to get the story out of the way. Um, but I, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm excited to see what happens with that. Um, I'm excited to see where the next chapter of this game ends. Um, because they ended this one in such a weird spot from the original that really skies them. They could do anything, anywhere, that caliber thing with this one. Um, I hope you're right, Spencer. I hope they have had this kind of in the books for a while and they've been storing it. 
I'm hoping that they had it done shortly after uh, to Mark's group, if not around that time, when it, and they've been working on expansions, additive stuff, whatever they think they need for this that we have uh, to expand on the story of this I don't want to wait 10 years for the entire thing. But I am super excited for this. I played 15. I kind of jumped out of Final Fantasy after 10. I got 12, but really didn't dabble too much. I played 14, did not too, too much. Um, and 13, I, I bought all three, but I don't think I played more than half of any of them. Uh, Greg, I will say this, and to anyone listening, who, if you do find yourself itching for a similar type, Lightning Returns, while probably a mess by a lot of people's standards for the story, because it is the same development team, there are so many hooks into the open world design because Lightning Returns is like an open world Majora's Mask like Final Fantasy game. I would I would be very interested if you ever get bored and can like hook, check that out with like your revi- you, with your revised uh, knowledge after playing the game. Spencer, if uh, the PS5 is backwards compatible with PS3, oh my god, that is how how crazy is it that that whole trilogy just got left on the PlayStation 3 and every other system, like, you can play it on Xbox One, you can play it on PC. No, PlayStation 4, you don't need it. You got other games, you're good. Unless you're on Xbox. Maybe it's backwards compatible on Xbox, isn't it? It is. It's actually the superior-ist version of it. Uh, it's the only version that natively plays them all in 4K and even has the Japanese exclusive features brought over into English and has both Japanese and English voiceover. Not even the PS3 version of that. It's tempting, but it's so unbeautiful. It is. It's so weird. And I know that's such like a fanboy thing. Like, I was even telling someone recently, I hope this game blows their sales expectations out of the water because I want this to stay at least as it's releasing PlayStation exclusive just because the less platforms it's on, the quicker they can get this out. The only thing caveat that though is we do have it, it'll be around some digital sales will be not because of all corona. Oh yeah, you, you, I mean, I honestly feel like any company right now is holding off on bragging about sales because it's like we had two million people leave their house during a quarantine. So, gentlemen, it has been awesome. It has been fun. Spencer, plug your podcast. Where can we find you at? Where Where are you on the Twitter? What, what can we do with you? Hi, people. You can follow me. My personal, very boring Twitter is at uh, Torchwood4SP, uh, where I just tweet about random stuff like Steelbooks and PlayStation Vita games coming out. But uh, if you enjoy me talking about RPGs that are not as good as Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, I do a weekly podcast called Shin Megami Tensei Network. Yes, that has a mouthful. But if you just search up SNT Network, you can find that on stuff like iTunes and YouTube and stuff like that. It's just a weekly podcast where we talk about Shin Megami Tensei and its spinoff series like Persona and stuff like that. And Matt, as always, where can they find you and us at? You know all that stuff. <laughs> uh, guys, you can listen to us on every single uh, platform that podcasts are available. Uh, so Apple, Spotify, I don't think SoundCloud actually, so not all of them. But you can follow us everywhere at the TDM Show, except Instagram, TDM Show. Hit us up on the website, leave reviews, uh, topics that you want to talk about, whitenoisestudio.com slash the TDM Show. And follow me, number one fan account for Pablo Sanchez, at Matt underscore Gutu. And guys, you can still follow me at TomsonTeo, N-N-K-S-Y, on the Twitterverse. Hit me up, let me know what you think. Let's get some questions on for the future episodes. 
But we appreciate you guys listening. Hope you can leave us some reviews. And we'll you next time.